Section 1 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Falada. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 1. Chapters 1 to 5 chapter one among the numerous faults of those who pass their lives recklessly and without due reflection my good friend liberalist i should say that there is hardly any one so hurtful to society as this that we neither know how to bestow or how to receive a benefit it follows from this that benefits are badly invested and become bad debts in these cases it is too late to complain of their not being returned for they were thrown away when we bestowed them nor need we wonder that while the greatest vices are common none is more common than ingratitude for this i see is brought about by various causes the first of these is that we do not choose worthy persons upon whom to bestow our bounty but although when we are about to lend money we first make a careful inquiry into the means and habits of life of our debtor and avoid sowing seed in a worn-out or unfruitful soil yet without any discrimination we scatter our benefits at random rather than bestow them it is hard to say whether it is more dishonourable for the receiver to disown a benefit or for the giver to demand a return for it for a benefit is a loan the repayment of which depends merely upon the good feeling of the debtor to misuse a benefit like a spendthrift is most shameful because we do not need our wealth but only our intention to set us free from the obligation of it for a benefit is repaid by being acknowledged yet while they are to blame who do not even show so much gratitude as to acknowledge their debt we ourselves are to blame no less we find many men ungrateful yet we make more men so because at one time we harshly and reproachfully demand some return for our bounty at another we are fickle and regret what we have given at another we are peevish and apt to find fault with trifles by acting thus we destroy all sense of gratitude not only after we have given anything but while we are in the act of giving it who has ever thought it enough to be asked for anything in an off-hand manner or to be asked only once who when he suspected that he was going to be asked for anything has not frowned turned away his face pretended to be busy or purposely talked without ceasing in order not to give his suitor a chance of preferring his request and avoided by various tricks having to help his friend in his pressing need and when driven into a corner has not either put the matter off that is given a cowardly refusal or promised his help ungraciously with a wry face and with unkind words of which he seemed to grudge the utterance 
yet no one is glad to owe what he has not so much received from his benefactor as wrung out of him who can be grateful for what has been disdainfully flung to him or angrily cast at him or been given him out of weariness to avoid further trouble no one need expect any return from those whom he has tired out with delays or sickened with expectation a benefit is received in the same temper in which it is given and ought not therefore to be given carelessly for a man thanks himself for that which he receives without the knowledge of the giver neither ought we to give after long delay because in all good offices the will of the giver counts for much and he who gives tardily must long have been unwilling to give at all nor assuredly ought we to give in offensive manner because human nature is so constituted that insults sink deeper than kindnesses the remembrance of the latter soon passes away while that of the former is treasured in the memory so what can a man expect who insults while he obliges all the gratitude which he deserves is to be forgiven for helping us on the other hand the number of the ungrateful ought not to deter us from earning men's gratitude for in the first place their number is increased by our own acts secondly the sacrilege and indifference to religion of some men does not prevent even the immortal gods from continuing to shower their benefits upon us for they act according to their divine nature and help all alike among them even those who so ill appreciate their bounty let us take them for our guides as far as the weakness of our mortal nature permits let us bestow benefits not put them out at interest the man who while he gives thinks of what he will get in return deserves to be deceived but what if the benefits turned out ill why our wives and our children often disappoint our hopes yet we marry and bring up children and are so obstinate in the face of experience that we fight after we have been beaten and put to sea after we have been shipwrecked how much more constancy ought we to show in bestowing benefits if a man does not bestow benefits because he has not received any he must have bestowed them in order to receive them in return and he justifies ingratitude whose disgrace lies in not returning benefits when able to do so how many are there who are unworthy of the light of day and nevertheless the sun rises how many complain because they have been born yet nature is ever renewing our race and even suffers men to live who wish they had never lived it is the property of a great and good mind to covet not the fruit of good deeds but good deeds themselves and to seek for a good man even after having met with bad men if there were no rogues what glory would there be in doing good to many as it is virtue consists in bestowing benefits for which we are not certain of meeting with any return but whose fruit is at once enjoyed by noble minds
so little influence ought this to have in restraining us from doing good actions that even though i were denied the hope of meeting with a grateful man yet the fear of not having my benefits returned would not prevent my bestowing them because he who does not give forestalls the vice of him who is ungrateful i will explain what i mean he who does not repay a benefit sins more but he who does not bestow one sins earlier if thou at random dost thy bounties waste much must be lost for one that's rightly placed chapter two in the former verse you may blame two things for one should not cast them at random and it is not right to waste anything much less benefits for unless they be given with judgment they cease to be benefits and may be called by any other name you please the meaning of the latter verse is admirable that one benefit rightly bestowed makes amends for the loss of many that have been lost see i pray you whether it be not truer and more worthy of the glory of the giver that we should encourage him to give even though none of his gifts should be worthily placed much must be lost nothing is lost because he who loses had nothing is lost because he who loses had counted the cost before the bookkeeping of benefits is simple it is all expenditure if any one returns it that is clear gain if he does not return it it is not lost i gave it for the sake of giving no one writes down his gifts in a ledger or like a grasping creditor demands repayment to the day and hour a good man never thinks of such matters unless reminded of them by someone returning his gifts otherwise they become like debts owing to him it is a base usury to regard a benefit as an investment whatever may have been the result of your former benefits persevere in bestowing others upon other men they will be all the better placed in the hands of the ungrateful whom shame or a favourable opportunity or imitating of others may some day cause to be grateful do not grow weary perform your duty and act as becomes a good man help one man with money another with credit another with your favour this man with good advice that one with sound maxims even wild beasts feel kindness nor is there any animal so savage that good treatment will not tame it and win love from it the mouths of lions are handled by their keepers with impunity to obtain their food fierce elephants become as docile as slaves so that constant unceasing kindness wins the hearts even of creatures who by their nature cannot comprehend or weigh the value of a benefit is a man ungrateful for one benefit perhaps he will not be so after receiving a second has he forgotten two kindnesses perhaps by a third he may be brought to remember the former ones also chapter three he who is quick to believe that he has thrown away his benefits 
thus really throw them away but he who presses on and adds new benefits to his former ones forces out gratitude even from a hard and forgetful breast in the face of many kindnesses your friend will not dare to raise his eyes let him see you whithersoever he turns himself to escape from his remembrance of you encircle him with your benefits as for the power and property of these i will explain it to you if first you will allow me to glance at a matter which does not belong to our subject as to why the graces are three in number why they are sisters why hand in hand and why they are smiling and young with a loose and transparent dress some writers think that there is one who bestows a benefit one who receives it and a third who returns it others say that they represent the three sorts of benefactors those who bestow those who repay and those who both receive and repay them but take whichever you please to be true what will this knowledge profit us what is the meaning of this dance of sisters in a circle hand in hand it means that the course of a benefit is from hand to hand back to the giver that the beauty of the whole chain is lost if a single link fails and that it is fairest when it proceeds in unbroken regular order in the dance there is one esteemed beyond the others who represents the givers of benefits their faces are cheerful as those of men who give or receive benefits are wont to be they are young because the memory of benefits ought not to grow old they are virgins because benefits are pure and untainted and held holy by all in benefits there should be no strict or binding conditions therefore the graces wear loose flowing tunics which are transparent because benefits love to be seen people who are not under the influence of greek literature may say that all this is a matter of course but there can be no one who would think that the names which hesiod has given them bear upon our subject he named the oldest aglaia the middle one euphrosyne the third thalia every one according to his own ideas twists the meaning of these names trying to reconcile them with some system though hesiod merely gave his maidens their names from his own fancy so homer altered the name of one of them naming her pasithea and betrothed her to a husband in order that you may know that they are not vestal virgins footnote in a sense not vowed to chastity i could find another poet in whose writings they are girded and wear thick or embroidered phrygian robes mercury stands with them for the same reason not because arguments or eloquence commends benefits but because the painter chose to do so also chrysippus the man of piercing intellect who saw to the very bottom of truth who speaks only to the point and makes use of no more words than are necessary to express his meaning fills his whole treatise 
with these puerilities, insomuch that he says but very little about the duties of giving, receiving, and returning a benefit, and has not so much inserted fables among these subjects as he has inserted these subjects among a mass of fables. For, not to mention what Hecaton borrows from him, Chrysippus tells us that the three graces are the daughters of Jupiter and Eurynome, that they are younger than the hours and rather more beautiful, and that on that account they are assigned as companions to Venus. He also thinks that the name of their mother bears upon the subject, and that she is named Eurynome because to distribute benefits requires a wide inheritance, as if the mother usually received her name after her daughters, or as if the names given by poets were true. In truth, just as with a nomenclator, audacity supplies the place of memory, and he invents a name for every one whose name he cannot recollect, so the poets think that it is of no importance to speak the truth, but are either forced by the exigencies of meter or attracted by sweetness of sound into calling every one by whatever name runs neatly into verse, nor do they suffer for it if they introduce another name into the list, for the next poet makes them bear what name he pleases, that you may know that this is so, for instance, Thalia, our present subject of discourse, is one of the graces in Hesiod's poems, while in those of Homer she is one of the muses. Chapter 4 But lest I should do the very thing which I am blaming, I will pass over all these matters, which are so far from the subject that they are not even connected with it. Only do you protect me if anyone attacks me for putting down Chrysippus, who, by Hercules, was a great man, but yet a Greek, whose intellect, too sharply pointed, is often bent and turned back upon itself, even when it seems to be in earnest, it only pricks, but does not pierce. Here, however, what occasion is there for subtlety? We are to speak of benefits and to define a matter which is the chief bond of human society. We are to lay down a rule of life such that neither careless open-handedness may commend itself to us under the guise of goodness of heart, and yet that our circumspection, while it moderates, may not quench our generosity a quality in which we ought neither to exceed nor to fall short. Men must be taught to be willing to give, willing to receive, willing to return, and to place before themselves the high aim, not merely of equaling, but even of surpassing those to whom they are in debt, both in good offices and in good feeling, because the man whose duty it is to repay can never do so unless he outdoes his benefactor. Footnote. That is, he never comes up to his benefactor unless he leaves him behind. He can only make a dead heat of it by getting a start. The one class might be taught to look for no return, the other to feel deeper gratitude. 
in this noblest of contests, to outdo benefits by benefits, Chrysippus encourages us by bidding us beware lest, as the graces are the daughter of Jupiter, to act ungratefully may not be a sin against them, and may not wrong those beauteous maidens. Do thou teach me how I may bestow more good things, and be more grateful to those who have earned my gratitude, and how the minds of both parties may vie with one another, the giver in forgetting, the receiver in remembering his debt. As for those utter follies, let them be left to the poets, whose purpose is merely to charm the ear and to weave a pleasing story. But let those who wish to purify men's minds, to retain honor in their dealings, and to imprint on their minds gratitude for kindnesses, let them speak in sober earnest and act with all their strength, unless you imagine, perchance, that by such flippant and mythical talk and such old wives' reasoning. It is possible for us to prevent that most ruinous consummation, the repudiation of benefits. Chapter five. However, while I pass over what is futile and irrelevant, I must point out that the first thing which we have to learn is what we owe in return for a benefit received. One man says that he owes the money which he has received. Another that he owes a consulship, a priesthood, a province, and so on. These, however, are but the outward signs of kindnesses, not the kindnesses themselves. A benefit is not to be felt and handled; it is a thing which exists only in the mind. There is a great difference between the subject matter of a benefit and the benefit itself. Wherefore, neither gold nor silver. Nor any of those things which are most highly esteemed are benefits, but the benefit lies in the goodwill of him who gives them. The ignorant take notice only of that which comes before their eyes, and which can be owned and passed from hand to hand, while they disregard that which gives these things their value. The things which we hold in our hands, which we see with our eyes. And which our avarice hugs, are transitory. They may be taken from us by ill luck or by violence, but a kindness lasts even after the loss of that by means of which it was bestowed, for it is a good deed which no violence can undo. For instance, suppose that I ransomed a friend from pirates, but another pirate has caught him and thrown him into prison. The pirate has not robbed him of my benefit, but has only robbed him of the enjoyment of it. Or suppose that I have saved a man's children from a shipwreck or a fire, and that afterwards disease or accident has carried them off. Even when they are no more, the kindness which was done by means of them remains. All those things, therefore, which improperly assume the name of benefits. Are means by which kindly feeling manifests itself. In other cases, also, we find a distinction between the visible symbol and the matter itself, as when a general bestows colors of gold, 
or civic or mural crowns upon anyone. What value has the crown in itself, or the purple-bordered robe, or the facets, or the judgment seat and car of triumph? None of these things is in itself an honor, but is an emblem of honor. In like manner, that which is seen is not a benefit; it is but the trace and mark of a benefit. End of section one. Book One, Chapters One to Five, recorded by Kualada.